It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life brings you interviews with some of the most inspirational and influential people in the world. It's our goal to educate and empower you so you can live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. We have another great show for you today. According to today's guest, Dr. Chatterjee, half of all American adults suffer with a chronic disease, with one in four people suffering from two or more. Despite the epidemic rates of lifestyle diseases, we're confused about what we can do to protect ourselves and live long, healthy lives. Dr. Chatterjee joins us today to discuss his plan for a life free of disease. Dr. Chatterjee is a practicing physician and star of the BBC One TV show, Doctor in the House. Welcome, Dr. Chatterjee. Thank you so much for joining us. Janet, it's a real pleasure to be on your show. So, Doctor, what conditions would fall under the category of lifestyle diseases? Joan, I think that's a great question. I think most people associate lifestyle-driven diseases with things like obesity and type 2 diabetes. But what we're learning more and more is that so many of the different conditions we see, whether it's mental health problems like depression and anxiety, whether it's autoimmune problems, whether it's gut problems, headaches, migraines, basically the bulk of what I see as a practicing medical doctor in some way is related to our collective modern lifestyles. Now, I've got to be careful. What I'm not saying is that people are doing it to themselves. I'm just saying that in the 21st century, that, you know, there's increasing awareness that actually there's a, of that mismatch between our genetic heritage and our modern environment. And that mismatch is at the heart of many of the different diseases and complaints that we're now suffering from. These are conditions for which most people take medication. These are conditions that we have more power over than we believe we do. Absolutely. Look, I prescribe pharmaceutical medication, you know, pretty much every day as a doctor. I'm not saying that there is no need for that. What I am saying is that we are over-prescribing pharmaceutical medication and we're not giving a lot of our patients the right choices, the right options so that they can actually choose to make some changes in their lifestyle if they wish. Now, you mentioned in the intro that I have um, got my own television series called Doctor in the House. Uh, what I managed to show in this documentary series is that for a whole variety of different conditions, that by making small changes to four key areas of our lifestyle, we can certainly improve people's health and in some cases, we managed to reverse their condition. Like I managed to demonstrate that type 2 diabetes can be reversed, sometimes within 30 days, by making those lifestyle changes. I also showed that actually a condition such as fibromyalgia, which had been under doctors for years, and this lady I saw was on 20 different pills every single day. Again, within six weeks, she was pain-free, and a few months later, instead of taking 20 pills a day, 
she's only taking two pills a day. So, you know, I'm very passionate that actually there is so much that we can do with our lifestyle. But as you have already highlighted, one of the problems is that health has become overcomplicated. And so what I try and do in my approach, I actually simplify health down to four key areas. And these areas are what I call the pillars of health, the four pillars of health that we've got some degree of control over that has the most impact on the way that we feel. Food and movement, which everyone has been talking about for years, but also sleep and relaxation. And I think those final two pillars are pillars that people very much undervalue, both doctors and the public alike. Doctor, let's look at these four areas for a moment and talk briefly about each. So relaxation, what strategies do you believe make the most difference? Joan, we're living in a busy, busy world. I mean, many of us are stressed out from the minute we wake up to the minute we go to bed. You know, we wake up, we look at our phones, uh, we've got a, a barrage of noise coming in, emails, tweets, Facebook messages, Instagram posts. And for many of us, that, that continues all day. Many of us are juggling multiple jobs. Many of us have got elderly parents we're trying to care for, children to get to school. And we are just busy. And actually, this is having a negative impact on our health because when we're this busy, and this stressed out, what happens is we raise levels of stress hormones such as cortisol and adrenaline in our body and they can have quite a negative impact on many different systems in the body including our ability to lose weight. There's so many patients I see that actually it's not diet and movement they need. What they need is to manage their stress levels because when we're chronically stressed, you know, our body feels like it's under attack and, and it comes up with a strategy to deal with that. And one of the strategies is it will hold on to weight. So you know, what are some of my top strategies to help us de-stress? And they sound rather simple. One of them is 15 minutes of me time every day. So this is something that you do by yourself. You do it because you enjoy it and you do it without a screen. And this can be something as simple as sitting in a cafe for 15 minutes, just enjoying a cup of coffee. But the goal is not to be scrolling your screen, looking at your emails and your Facebook at the same time. The other strategy I, I recommend is something called a practice, a daily practice of stillness. So the words meditation and mindfulness are all the rage these days. And I think you know, I'm a huge fan of both of them, but sometimes those terms can confuse people. Basically, what we're talking about is, is a practice every day where you have a little bit of stillness. So th those are two strategies that I outline. And, and I guess a third one is this whole idea of a screen-free Sabbath, the whole idea, can we work towards one full day a week where we don't go on screen? One of the top tips for technology is to take notifications off your phone. You don't need to know every time someone likes your latest social media post or the next time you get a junk email from someone. You know, we need to use technology in a way that we're in control and that technology doesn't control us. You know, I am not anti-tech. I'm a huge fan. But we've got to start putting in some practices in place where we're in charge. And I think taking notifications off your phone is a big one. Doctor, how much exercise should we be getting and what kind do you recommend? So when it comes to movement and exercise, my recommendations are are pretty simple really you know what the first one is um to sit less and walk more and i one thing i think i'm going to highlight is strength training now strength training is incredibly undervalued in society you know we we we, we don't re realize the implications of that once we go past 30 the age of 30 we can lose three to five percent of our lean muscle mass 
every 10 years. And above the age of 50, that can go to about 3% each year. Now, you might be wondering why does that matter? Well, the amount of lean muscle mass you have is the strongest predictor of how well you are going to be as you age. It's really that important. And so arguably, we should be prioritizing muscle mass and strength training in older individuals more than in younger individuals. At the moment, we associate going to the gym with teenagers and people in their 20s trying to look good. But actually, it's, it's more important as we get older. So I think strength training is something I'm really, really passionate about. Doctor, so many of us are making ourselves crazy following every fad diet that comes out. And, you know, we're, we're losing weight, we're gaining weight. We Just when we think we have it figured out, we're given new information saying, don't eat that, eat this. So if you could sum it up, how do we find that balance in what we eat? What should we be doing every day to maximize our health through food? Yeah, I think that's such a great question. It's a problem in the US, it's a problem in the UK. People are so confused. But you know what? The, the, the principles of healthy eating haven't really changed in a number of years. And you know, so I'd say the first one is to denormalize sugar, okay? This is not about saying you're never going to eat sugar again. Frankly, we're hardwired to crave sugar. And in the modern living environment, we're always going to be exposed to it. So at some point, we're always gonna crack. You know, I would say, look, I don't mind if people have a sugary treat now and again, but they should know when they're eating sugar. We shouldn't kid ourselves that we're not having sugar in our breakfast cereal, in our sandwich at lunch, and in our pasta and ready-made sauce for dinner. You know, if you start looking at those labels, you'll find pretty soon that actually there's a ton of sugar in that. So, you know, my a big approach with sugar is not to demonize it, but, but to denormalize it. The other approach I'm sort of quite keen on is the idea of can you eat five vegetables every single day and ideally make them different colors. And the way I prioritize that with people is give them a rainbow chart. If any of your listeners have actually got children like I do, it's the best way of getting your children to eat more vegetables is by gamifying it and, and having this rainbow chart. And in fact, that's the way my, my seven-year-old son often will go to the fridge at dinner time and pick out things just so he gets his colors. So you can look at all healthy populations around the world, and one of the consistent things is they eat minimal sugar, they eat plenty of brightly colored vegetables every day. And I think the other big one is to unprocess your diet. We know that minimally processed food is associated with better health outcomes. You can look at all these populations, these blue zones around the world, where people live to a ripe old age in really good health. And you know what? Their diet is different. Some are eating more fat, some are eating more carbs. But you know what they're all doing? It's minimally processed food. And, you know, on a side note, one of the reasons I think that low-carbohydrate diets are working so well for so many people in the West because the bulk of the refined and processed junk that we're eating is highly refined and processed carbs. So actually, just by cutting those highly processed foods out, we're automatically improving the health of our diets because it's that kind of diet that actually encourages really good growth of what we call gut bugs. So these trillions of bugs that live inside us, and that can impact your mood, that can impact your weight, your risk of type 2 diabetes, your risk of getting things like Alzheimer's disease, and a whole host of other things. So those are some sort of basic principles. But 
you know, we're always so focused on what we should eat. We often don't think about when we should eat. And one of the strategies I talk about is can you eat all of your food in a 12-hour eating window? So, you know, that might be you have your breakfast at 7 a.m. and you've finished eating your dinner by 7 p.m., for example, or 8 till 8 or 9 till 9. It really doesn't matter. But we know that there are some incredible benefits for the body when we restrict our eating to 12 hours. It often improves digestion improve blood sugar levels, their weight, but it can also improve their sleep. So that's a strategy I'd encourage people to listen. If they've struggled to change what they eat, maybe they should start with changing when they eat. And finally, doctor, how many hours of sleep should we get per evening? You know what? The research is conflicting. I can't actually tell anyone what they should be getting per night in terms of hours. But what I can do, and this is the question I ask all of my patients, is do you wake up feeling refreshed? because that's what sleep should be doing. Do you wake up without an alarm, give or take 30 minutes every day, because that gives me an idea of your body's natural circadian rhythm. And do you fall asleep within about 30 minutes of trying? And I go through this um, rate questionnaire with my patients that I detail out on the book so that people can assess their own sleep health. And that gives me a great snapshot of what people's sleep quality is like. See, you might be able to sleep for six hours a night, and actually wake up feeling refreshed. And I would say that's okay for you. But some other people need eight hours a night. So, you know, I think having a number there can actually be a little bit off-putting for some people. But I can tell you this, right? We are living in a sleep deprivation epidemic. There's no question. And in the short term, a lack of sleep affects our energy, our mood, our relationships with our partner, our family members, our work colleagues, as well as actually our ability to make other good healthy lifestyle choices. But in the long term, sleep deprivation is associated with pretty much every single chronic condition we have, whether it be obesity, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, Alzheimer's. And we're not talking about it. We're always talking about food and movements. And when we're missing a big piece of the puzzle, which is sleep, the vast majority of people who are struggling with their sleep are doing something in their daily lifestyle that they don't realize is negatively impacting their ability to sleep in the evening. You know, in very rare cases, is it what we call a primary sleep disorder, like sleep apnea? In most cases, it's to do with things that they're doing in the day. That could be caffeine, it could be alcohol, it could be that they're on screens before bed. Uh, it could be that they go through their bank statements every evening so they can't switch off. It could be that they're doing their work emails in bed. But one that often people don't think about is one of my recommendations, which is embrace morning light. Now, when people think about sleep, they're always thinking about what can I do in the evening before I go to bed? You know, what, what, what can I do to relax? But actually, we know that actually that's not the whole story. See, we've evolved as humans to have a big differential between our maximum light exposure and our minimum light exposure. So if, if a dark room, let's say a completely pitch black room, was zero lux and lux is a unit of light, okay, you go outside on a sunny day, you get exposed to about 30,000 lux, okay, so that's a big difference. You go outside on a cloudy day, you're getting maybe 10 to 15,000 lux. You go into a brightly lit office environment, the maximum you're going to get is about five or 600 lux, okay? So in the modern world, when we're spending a lot of our time indoors, we're not getting that differential. And I've got so many of my patients who, by having a 20-minute walk outside every day or even at lunchtime, okay, that is all they need to do to improve the sleep quality at night because it helps them set their body's natural daily circadian rhythm. 
The book is How to Make Disease Disappear. If you'd like to get more information about Dr. Chatterjee and his work, you can visit drchatterjee.com. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us and for offering practical solutions to help us take control of our health. There is so much that we can do to remain healthy, so thank you for being here and sharing this information. My pleasure. This is Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Hi, this is Joan Herman, host of Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life has a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life 24-7. Visit CYACYL.com. And be sure to tell your friends. Do you feel numb or lack awareness of your surroundings? Are you moving through your day at lightning speed that you don't even notice or feel the world around you? Hi, I'm Lori Gardner, registered nurse, patient advocate, and board-certified health and wellness coach. I am the CEO and founder of HealthLink Advocates, a firm dedicated to assisting people to navigate our very complex and confusing healthcare system. We also provide coaching to individuals and groups that want to improve their health and overall well-being. Sensing the world around us is the third dimension of our wellness inventory program. It is through our senses, seeing, touching, smelling, hearing, and tasting that we come to know and enjoy the world. Our abilities to work, feel pleasure, to communicate with others, and to impact the world are directly related to our abilities to appreciate and use our senses efficiently and creatively. Sometimes our lives lead us to a place where we numb our senses and withdraw from being aware of our senses. Our senses are marvelous instruments that require vigilance to keep them in top condition. Therefore, it is important to become skilled in caring for and experiencing your senses in a positive way. Actions such as being in nature, spending time with a pet, surrounding yourself with beauty, and body work such as massage therapy can help. We can support you in your well-being journey and address you as a whole person. Contact us at healthlinkadvocates.com. The world has lost some beloved people to suicide in the last several years, including very recently Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade. At least one friend of each took to social media to complain that they were quote-unquote selfish to end their lives. But are people who choose to end their lives really being selfish? The answer is no. They are desperate. Hi, I'm Susan Greif, an expressive and healing arts facilitator and founder of Artman's Hearts. I harness the power of creative expression to help clients release old stuck energy that keeps them feeling panicked, powerless, paralyzed, and in pain. Depression can lead to suicide if undetected and untreated. When severe, its sufferers become detached and isolated, stuck in a mindset of constant defeat and despair, feeling worthless and loathing themselves. Oblivious to everyone around them, they feel hopeless and trapped with no options. They may feel suicide is the only way to get relief. 
If you know someone who's withdrawn and you're worried they're depressed, reach out and offer them your support in any or all of the following ways. One, give them a hug and an ear. Just listen. Don't argue, preach, or give advice. Two, ask if you can help them find a mental health professional. Three, get them walking. Exercise is the best antidepressant. Four, help them find an organization to volunteer with. A sense of purpose helping others is healing and uplifting. Five, if they start saying they're feeling despair or are thinking about suicide, call the Suicide Prevention Hotline for advice on the next step. Feel free to contact me at artmensharts at gmail.com for further help. When you create a Facebook page for your business, there are important settings that you should be aware of. One of these settings is verifying your page. Hi, I'm Patricia Singer of Follow Me Social Media Consulting. We work with small and mid-sized businesses to help them with their presence on the various social media platforms. When you have created your Facebook page, you have access to administrative settings. Under settings, you will see the verify your page option. If it says your page is not verified, you need to fix that immediately. Edit the section and follow the instructions. When you click to verify your page, you will need to enter the business telephone number and submit it to Facebook. At this point, be near your phone because Facebook will call you with a verification code. When you receive that code, enter the code into the dialog box that has opened and click confirm. Voila, your page is verified. This notifies Facebook that you are a legitimate business with someone who answers the phone. You will receive a verified check mark on your page and with Facebook's algorithm, it will know to show your page to more Facebook users. If you would like more information, go to besttofollowme.com. What is your aging plan? Hi, my name is Sheila Samuels of the Samuels Law Firm. At the Samuels Law Firm, we focus on estate planning and administration, elder law and special needs planning. With offices in New York and Northern New Jersey, we work closely with our clients to develop a comprehensive estate plan to preserve and protect their assets for their families. While no one likes to think about aging or disability, study after study confirms that nearly everyone will face at least a temporary disability sometime during their lifetime. More specifically, depending upon the age, up to 44% of Americans will face a disability for more than four years. Despite this overwhelming and compelling statistic, most Americans continue to grossly underestimate the risk of disability to themselves and to their loved ones and fail to plan. Now think about this for a second. We live in a society where we plan what we will eat or where we will vacation, yet most of us do not know or refuse to accept the facts surrounding our potential need for long-term care and the costs associated with it. So, are you interested in learning more about asset protection and preservation? Are you interested in aging with dignity and a peace of mind and leaving the legacy you choose for your loved ones? If so, visit me at SheilaSamuelsLaw.com. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, an intuitive life coach who helps her clients move through life's challenges and transitions with purpose, passion, and clarity to emerge more powerful, fulfilled, and purposeful. Linda is here today to discuss why self-care is not selfish. Welcome, Linda. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Joan. It's always great to be here. So, Linda, this is such an important topic because... 
when we don't care for ourselves, when our cup gets depleted, we're not able to care for other people. So in this busy world of unending activity and to-do lists, how do you suggest we find time for self-care? And why do you believe it's so important? Well, you're right, Joan. It is so important. We are indeed a culture of overworked individuals. Self-care does not mean putting your goals on hold. Simply means learning how to weave in time for yourself and your loved ones. Initially, you may feel resistance, even guilt, sometimes discomfort or even unworthiness. But in truth, unless you schedule in self-care, you will eventually begin to live your life from a place of resentment, anger, overwhelm, or exhaustion. Being depleted is not good for you or anyone around you. You can't give from an empty receptacle, right? Right. We mistakenly think that self-care may promote laziness, selfishness, or somehow keep us from achieving our goals when actually it's been proven the opposite is true. It's a myth that constantly working long hours makes you more productive. Being overworked and perpetually stressed increases the likelihood of errors, illnesses, injury, and actually diminishes our creativity, our productivity, patience, and our effectiveness. We have nothing left to offer others when we're spent. So, Linda, you've been helping people understand the importance of self-care. Can you suggest some ways that our listeners can foster self-care? Sure. As a work-centered culture, many of us have lost touch with our inner wisdom. A wonderful way to reconnect and rejuvenate is simply to sit quietly, allow yourself to connect with your heart space, and sometimes just unplugging from the world can be immensely helpful. Tune in and discern what will serve you best. It could be a soothing bath with relaxing music, journaling, a yoga class, creating artwork, or a walk in nature. The people who have a hard time saying no, the, the people pleasers, they're probably the ones who need to say yes the most. How do you help those people recognize the importance of self-care? Wow, you're so right, Joan. The people pleasers of the world are those who put themselves last on the list and are probably most in need of some self-care. And for them especially, it's not selfish. Rather, it's incredibly necessary to take time for some much-needed self-care. There's an epidemic of people who are overscheduled and undervalued. They feel invisible unheard and rarely make it to the top of their own priority list. They often buy into the myth that the good girls always serve others and don't take care of themselves. And to those especially, I say, don't wait for a personal crisis to make time for self-care. Sooner or later, our bodies will cry out either from pain or exhaustion, and it's hard to accomplish our goals from that place. I often say many people take better care of their cars than they do their own bodies. Mm -hmm. Think about it. We change the oil, rotate the tires, do scheduled maintenance, because we know the better care we take of our cars, the more mileage we get out of them. Well, our bodies are exactly the same. The more attention we pay to self-care, the better mindset we're in. And then it's easier to reach our goals from that place. Schedule some self-care this week. When others see you're happier and less stressed, they'll be relieved and delighted to spend time with you. And that's not selfish. A little goes a long way towards creating joy, balance, and good health in your life. Linda, thank you so much for being here with us. If you would like to learn how you can take better care of yourself, if you'd like to learn more about Linda, you can visit her website, livinginspiredcoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com forward slash Linda. 
When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego. But ego's not really gonna get you that far. If you want a result, then you're gonna wanna work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting, but let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.